Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Today's episode is brought to you by ModMed. Do your EHR and PM adapt to your style of practice? The ModMed EHR and PM do, with benefits like remembering preferences and automatically suggesting documentation and billing codes. Urologists voted ModMed the number one urology-specific EHR and PM solution available, built by urologists with input from yours truly. Stop wasting 60 minutes and 200 for each of your open or no-show slot. Go to modmed.com slash prsnetwork. Set up an appointment with the team at ModMed Urology and shift your urology practice into high gear. Imagine a solution on a tablet or the web that works seamlessly with revenue cycle management, analytics, telehealth, payment processing, patient engagement tools, and much more. ModMed is transforming healthcare by placing doctors and patients at the center of care. Welcome to episode 138 of the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-host, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. And today, we are going to answer some more questions that came into the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Group. Um, By the way, it is a free group. You can join that if you go to the episode page, prsnetwork.com forward slash 138. You'll be able to find a link to how to join that group and ask questions and see what's been asked. All right. uh, The three topics we're going to cover today are number one the uh we want to talk about a question that came in regarding um a prostatectomy and lymphadenectomy and and what's included and if there's prophylactic uh if you do something prophylactic is that covered so we want to cover that uh the second thing we want to talk about is we had a question about the phe and um the uh what's allowed and what's not going to be allowed be, uh, based on when the PHE ends versus the HIPAA compliant, non-compliant platforms and, uh, and the one, the 1135 waiver. And finally, we want to cover a question on uh, PVRs and uh, without a bladder scan. So we want to clarify that. So let's dive right in and uh, answer a question. All right. The question is, would you consider interposition of perineal flaps separately billable with a prostatectomy slash lymphadenectomy? Um, specifically, specifically, it states the perineum, the, the peritoneum at the dome of the bladder was folded over itself and anchored to the front sides of the bladder. All right, and the, the question is that, that there's no guidance out there for what I can find for coding other than studies that show it is more of a prophylactic procedure to prevent lymphocytes. I'm currently not coding for it, but wanted a second opinion. All right. Mark, uh, you want to take us through the the question and the logic? Yeah, so um, so Brittany, I, I I think you're correct in not coding for this separately. Um, you've got a couple of different issues, and you're right. There's not anything really specific out there um, uh, stating um, that this is uh, 
um, something that you should and shouldn't do from the clinical side. There, I think there's definitely some lean that this is preventative, but I don't know that this is, you know, currently I've not seen it in any guidelines as far as the the full treatment side of things. But from a billing standpoint, you know, we've we've kind of dealt with this in a couple of different settings. Um, you know, with a, a prostatectomy or a laparoscopic or robotic prostatectomy, there have been a number of discussions surrounding things like cystopexy, cystourethropexy, um, and, you know, some of the other bladder suspension. Um, and every time those are floated up through the, the process um, at, the, at the CRC with the AUA, it's come back as uh, included standard practice. Um, and so there is some precedent out there that would say that um, a service like this um, would be more or less part of the procedure and shouldn't be separately coded. So that's one piece of this. The second side of this that's you you also reference here is that it does seem to be more of a prophylactic um, procedure, um, which, as we all know, some of those prophylactic procedures, especially when you're dealing with Medicare, which would be a, a probably a large number of these patients in the prostatectomy side, that prophylactic is not considered um, covered in many cases as medically necessary. Um, so um, at this point in time, I would agree with you again that it is probably not something that should be separately coded. Um, but, you know, it is one of those areas where with appropriate uh, documentation, study, and effort that maybe longer term this could warrant an adjustment in value or, a, or, or we could get some official support as to the fact that this is not, in fact, strictly strictly preventative, but um, something that is recommended, and we might be able to look at some additional coding. But right now, I think given where the literature is and what we see on the billing side, um, that the, you're, you're steering clear of billing this um, at this point in time is correct. Ray, what are your thoughts? I totally agree with Mark. I think it is uh, – prophylactic it would be considered a facilitatory to procedure and and I, I would not bill it at this point all right okay let's move on to the next topic um this was a question from julie that came in and it's uh it states with the PHE ending on 5/11/2023, but telehealth being extended through 12/31/2024. What's the ruling on using non-HIPAA compliant platforms such as play, such as FaceTime? Will this exception be going away with the 11/35 waiver ending? When we look at the ending of the PHE and the extension of the uh, telehealth um, guidelines. I, I think we've got to look at two different things here. Um, so number one, the simple answer to your question, the 1135 waiver ending does um, take away some of the uh, 
uh, but most of the leniency relative to the to HIPAA exceptions. So um, my strong recommendation to you is you really should get off or stop using non-HIPAA compliant platforms um, such as FaceTime. Um, there are plenty of of HIPAA compliant platforms that are out there. Um, we, we don't know exactly what the enforcement's going to be, to be honest, but um, we do know that HIPAA compliance is a priority um, within healthcare. And so uh, at this point in time, I would recommend very strongly uh, getting away from FaceTime. Now, the other thing I want to add to this is that you know, the extension of telehealth through the end of 2024 um, really is a stopgap measure that Congress acted on primarily to work on budgeting for a new bill that will make telehealth permanent. Um, and so when you really consider the long-term value of telehealth to the urology practice, given the shortage of urologists and the increasing number of patients, moving towards a long-term solution of uh, HIPAA-compliant platforms, and more importantly, an integration of telehealth into your practice for appropriate visits um, and appropriately scheduled timing um, is uh is my strong recommendation to you. Um, so um, I, I think there are two pieces to this answer that I want to make sure everybody, you know, kind of looks at is that one, um, you do want to move away from non-HIPAA compliant platforms as quickly as possible. Um, uh, again, we're not exactly sure what the enforcement is, but it, it does look like with the PHE and the 1135 waiver that those protections for non-compliant uh, platforms is not going to extend. Um, but the second piece and the longer piece is uh, start looking at telehealth as a permanent part of your practice and the way that you can deliver healthcare and redesign your practice around telehealth so that you can use it, leverage it for appropriate visits um, extend your ability to see more patients in the same physical space and meet patients where they are and where they want to be because there are plenty of patients out there that are using telehealth, not just for urology, but for many other uh, services and healthcare. And the, the patients are more facile with these uh, programs than they were at the very beginning of the public health emergency. So, we continue the patient training to get towards HIPAA compliant uh, platforms and really truly leverage telehealth um, to the advantage of the practice and for the patient. Ray, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I would like to emphasize what Mark said and, and maybe go a little step further. Patients have not only become more uh, uh, familiar with this, but they're going to be more demanding of this. Uh, in a lot of situations, it's much, much more convenient for a patient to do telehealth, and the results are just as good in the appropriate uh, cases or scenarios. Yeah, and I think to emphasize, 
you you're going to have to have a, compl- a HIPAA compliant platform, no matter what. You might as well switch over, get it switched over, and and start integrating that as soon as possible. And you know, the one last thing I should add is that you know telephone calls are still going to be part of the reimbursement picture through the end of 2024. Um, so, you know, it, in the end, if you can't get them onto a HIPAA compliant platform. Uh, for audiovisual, which is, you know, to me, priority one to make sure that the visits are paid for appropriately. Um, but a pivot towards telephone only is is probably your better bet if you can't get your patient to do that, even though you can't take advantage of the rules as well um, with the reimbursement um, related to telephone only visits. All right. Okay, let's move on to the final question. Uh, the final question we have today is: uh, If a provider is in, is only interested in, to do a post void residual and not do a bladder scan, can we use the ultrasound information, uh, the seven six eight five seven, as the post void regi- residual and charge that way? Can you bill the seven six five seven six eight five seven since the provider interprets the result of the post void residual? Thank you. All right, Mark, it's all yours. Yeah, so you know this question comes up every once in a while. Um, you know the the five one seven nine eight, which is the post void residual bladder scan non imaging, um, is basically set up to provide the practice the ability to get a post-void residual if that is indeed um, the target of the test. Um, Now, it doesn't mean, however, that if you have an image, because it says non-imaging, because you have an image, if the medical necessity of the test and the overall results and the read are really focused solely on the post-void residual, then the 51798 is still the correct code, regardless of what tool you're using from the to obtain that information. Um, so um, in the end, the real pivot from the 51798 to the 76857 is about the the information that you are needing from a medical necessity standpoint and documenting that you actually obtained. Um, So um, that 76857 would include a post-void residual if it was, if it were done and if it were done for the medically necessary reason of trying to understand the topology and the, the thickness of the bladder wall uh, be based on the patient's presenting problem. So you've got to have the medical necessity to build the 76857, and you need to have the support um, in your documentation giving you much more about the, the structures within the area because of the ultrasound. So if you've got both of those, then you can move to the 76857. But if the the main goal was the post-void residual, um, then use the 51798 regardless of the equipment. And uh, the definition or the description of the 76857, the full full description is ultrasound 
pelvic, and in parentheses, non-obstetric, um, real-time with image documentation, limited or follow-up, for example, for follicles. So that's the, the full description of the 76857. Ray, thoughts? Well, Mark, we know that Medicare made it very clear that if the reason for the procedure was to check residual urine, you got to have the 51798. But I, I think I heard you say that even with the private payers, if the medical necessity for a, a full pelvic or limited pelvic ultrasound is not there, you should still use the 51798. That is, it, that is correct. Um, that's more of a, a CPT accuracy rule um, as you look at, at, at what you're trying to do. And certainly, you've got a lot of the payers out there that follow Medicare guidelines relative to diagnosis restrictions and, and those types of things. So that, that medical necessity is, is always going to be an issue. And there is a target, right, on overutilization of imaging. So you want to be very compliant um, when you consider uh, your choice of codes, especially with your imaging services. All right. Okay. Well, we'll end that. We'll end the episode here. And uh, I do want to remind you that uh, our we do have our urology coding compliance and education plan uh, available. And this is something we've been working on for several years. We've taken all the stuff we've done over the last 30 years, figured out what's uh, what's worked, what hasn't, and we've put it all together into a nice package so that we make sure that you all uh, are fishing in urology coding, which, you know, oftentimes if you're self-taught, you have gaps in your knowledge. So, so having that um, plan in place to make sure that you're you're proficient and you have all the concepts down and you've practiced applying those concepts uh, that's included in the plan as well as a outside chart review to make sure that you understand and that you, you to verify that you have that knowledge and then uh, the final piece of the plan is continuing education make sure you're up to date and you're following all the new rules and regs coming down because there's a ton of them coming at, at all times so that's that's what you need to have to make sure that you're um, all set in your your practice wherever you may be, whether you're an employed urologist uh, or or coder biller working for an institution or private practice or uh, involved in a large group. So it applies to everybody. All right, um, we want to thank ModMed for supporting this podcast episode. Uh, if you go to uh, modmed.com forward slash PRS network, they do offer um, discounts for listeners of the podcast. So we do encourage you to go check that out. All right. Um, final thoughts, Mark. Yeah, uh, I will. Uh, I will add, you know, we, we mentioned a little bit on medical necessity and also a little bit today about, you know, HIPAA compliance and and uh, uh, on a couple of different topics um, that we address today and 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 ultimately, 
I've got to tell you, with all the moves that the payers are making right now, Medicare and the private sector, um, it is clear um, that the technicalities of how and why you provide services are being very carefully monitored um, with a number of tools from the payers. So, um, you know, as we've always encouraged, make sure your documentation is very good um, at supporting not just the what, but the why, and uh, pay attention to your diagnosis coding um, across the board. And now, with the telehealth stuff ending, it's also, of course, worrying about the how. So um, all of those things need to go into consideration as you address your patient's needs. All right. Ray, final thoughts. Keep in mind medical necessity and appropriate documentation are the, the foundation for all good coding and eventually getting paid. All right. All right. And links to uh, what we discussed today, you're, you can find those on the uh, episode page. That's prsnetwork.com forward slash 138 for episode 138. That's it for this episode. Take us out, Ray. Happy coding. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and their staff maximize income and efficiencies so there's time and energy for patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter for the music today. You can find his music on Spotify under his record label, The Juice Room.